Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at PureMTGO.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MTGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 152 of the Common Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Christian, and I'm joined by our brand new co-host, Adam. Brand new. What's up, man? Uh, just had another classic work week and am recording at home. This feels weird doing it this way instead of in the car, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, so um, for those that don't know, do you kind of want to talk about the show that you did before this one? Uh, the show I did previously was called Homeward Path that I mostly recorded. I say mostly, it was almost exclusively uh, recorded in my car at the end of the work week as I was making my way home from work. And it was just kind of about the struggles of being someone who didn't have a lot of time and didn't have a lot of money to be able to put toward improving at magic and try, like trying to find ways to do it anyway. So there was a lot of like emphasis on theory. There was a lot of emphasis on... like knowing how to use the cards, not necessarily which cards were better. Honestly, listening to the Homeward Path show, it was something that I was always a pretty big fan of, particularly because of how deeply you dove into the theory. And the minimal cost thing just feels like it fits right in home with Popper. Yeah. So if we're talking about budget magic, you don't get cheaper than commons only. Let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) That's mostly true. The only thing possible to play cheaper is Penny Dreadful, and you just can't do anything without. So Yeah, but before we got too far into the rest of the episode, I do want to remind everyone that Common Knowledge and all of the podcasts on the Constrict Criticism Network are sponsored by PureMTGO.com. If you'd like to support the show, make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Constructed Criticism YouTube channel, and check out the Common Knowledge Patreon. All right, with that out of the way, let's get on with the show for the week. So before we get into our main topic, we kind of wanted to touch on the show is still going to be doing deck of the month. So Adam and I have been playing slightly different versions of the same deck for the past couple of weeks now. So we just kind of want to talk about what that deck is and how we feel about that. Do you want to kind of get into the deck that you've been playing? Yeah. So I started with sort of the classic iteration of Boros Monarch. The list I pulled from Goldfish to get myself started was titled Boros Bully, but it was, you know, Palace Sentinels and Battle Screech and Guardian of the Guild Pact and, you know, sort of all the greatest hits of the strategy. I kind of wanted to start in the more Jundy place because I'm addicted to value. And uh, the deck feels like it's got a really solid grind game, but I don't know how it lines up in the format yet i did not do well in my first attempt at a challenge with it today yeah so whenever you were playing the list in the challenge i know that we were kind of talking off camera you played kind of a high number of sweepers i think particularly in the main deck and you were kind of telling me that that didn't 
feel the best, what sort of changes would you make to kind of maybe line up against the meta that you ended up playing against today? I really want to find ways to get through, either get through the deck faster to find the high impact sideboard cards. Like Dust to Dust was amazing today. Dawnbringer Cleric was surprisingly valuable today, whether in the burn matchup or even in just the other aggro decks matchup, just being a one three that would snipe a key permanent or just give you a nice little two life buffer to keep going. And I might be trying to go even further back into the greatest hits list and fitting core sky fisher because value yeah I, I was actually wondering you know i know that this isn't necessarily like what the list itself is going for but if you had thought about either doing like the core sky fisher icker wellspring plan to dig for those higher impact sideboard cards or even doing something like experimental synthesizer to just generate like a little bit more card advantage the biggest downside to that in the context of the bully deck is all the like three and four drops in that deck and i did not want to synthesizer early and just not be just lose my cards right like synthesizer into a palace sentinel and then just not be able to play anything yeah that's just most unfortunate but the wellspring skyfisher line seems really good and it Skyfisher also works really well with another card we're going to talk about later. So, <laughs> yeah. So, similarly, I've also been playing a Boros deck. I have been playing more of that like affinity style, like, um, like playing like Kadolfa Rebirth, Icar Wellspring, Experimental Synthesizer. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good, but it's also really fun in that, um, whenever I play a deck, I always sort of look for decks that have hands that kind of play themselves. So like, for example, whenever I was playing like the teamer land destruction deck, that sort of like mid rangey deck, like that deck could grind and there was a lot of decision points, but there were also some hands where it was like, okay, turn one Arbor Elf, turn two acid monster land, like then play something that cascades on turn three or four. <laughs> and so, and like, it's like those hands kind of play themselves. Yeah, And so this deck is the same thing where, you know, you might basically play like a tap land on one, turn two, play Wellspring, turn three, rebirth your Wellspring, draw a card, play a synthesizer, play another card, and say go. So it's one of those things where the deck has a lot of play to it, much like all the Boros decks do, but it can also just have these very straightforward hands that, that make it easier, especially over the course of like a challenge, right? Where like you're not necessarily wanting to devote all of your brain power to a random game two in round two, right? Where it's like, okay, this is like one of those games where my hand kind of plays itself. I'll probably pick up the win because the deck is that strong and we can keep going through. It is slightly ironic that you mentioned game two of round two. It was game two of round three for me that nearly went to time. Like the opponent's timer almost ran out. And I ended up losing game two after losing game one to an opponent just looping uh, Fire Ice, Ephemerate, and Archeomancer just over and over and over and over. And they finally got there. <laughs> yeah. So the Jeskai Ephemerate matchup, how did that, how does that feel to you? Like to me, I um, have been under the impression that like the ephemerate decks, particularly like the familiars version, whether that be Jeskai or Blue White, are like secretly the best deck in the format, but nobody knows how to play it. It feels like the most powerful deck in the format. Like you just have the best inevitability of anybody in the format. Yeah. If you survive, all you have to do is survive. Mm -hmm. 
the matchup felt like it was one of those where if I could have gotten more fast hands, more linear hands, and just threats that stuck on the table a little bit better, I could have gotten there. But, I mean, shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> yeah, you need some more Kadolfa Rebirth in your life. Oh, man. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just be even worse against opponents of trickeries that apparently nobody's playing. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, so that's sort of the update. We'll have kind of more structure to what deck we're playing each month going forward, but because our first episode recording together is towards the end of a month, just like a brief deck update is all we can really do now. But I guess that can kind of segue us in without a segue into our main topic this week, which is the top cards from New Capenna. such a fun set and i don't know how fun it is for popper if i'm being perfectly honest yeah it's um i really like the theme brad old co-host and still friend of the show like his shop did like a big like everybody dressed up like mobsters like they had like a bank vault like it was like crazy like the flavor of this set is amazing and i think there are a few good cards but it's definitely, I don't think, what we're used to seeing from, like, just random game-breaking comments. We don't have anything that I think will warp the entirety of the format around it, like the last probably eight consecutive sets have. <laughs> <laughs> so how we're doing the set reviews now is we are basically just going to give our top five list of cards individually for Buffer, kind of talk about what those cards are on our list and why we picked them. If you want to go ahead and lead off with your number one or your number five, depending on. Yeah, let's do it the old fashioned way, right? Let's do it like an actual top five list. So my number five on this list, and if I'm being perfectly honest, two of these cards are on this list because I am a sucker for auras or boggles decks. It's, if we talk about decks that play themselves, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean I don't love it. It just, it is what it is. But my number five is Rafina's Guidance. Uh, it's one mana, aura, enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one. And you can cast it from your graveyard by paying two and a white rather than paying its mana cost. It's very unassuming, but it's exactly what you need when you're... You know, you, you've got a creature sitting on the table. You just need a little bit of extra pressure. And similar to it's it's the even poorer person's Rancor. <laughs> so whenever you're seeing this, what sort of home do you like? Where do you think this card's going to be played in? There's a part of me that wants to do some sort of a blue white deck that finds room for a lot of this stuff that I'm going to talk about. But uh, mm -hmm. it. No, that's channeling my inner Brad. <laughs> Brad, if you're listening, we love you. He was one of the most ardent supporters of Homeward Path. That's my boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's lower power level than probably some of the other things, but the fact that it's always available is something, I think, that gives it a bit. It's like low ceiling, but also high floor. Speaking of channeling your inner Brad, the deck that I see this going the most in is a 
probably either red, white, or mono white. Oh, I did that a lot, actually. Yeah, that's like Brad's favorite deck, and it was funny. Like every time we would talk about Magic, even like offline, like we would talk about a card, he'd be like, "Hey, do you think this can go on mono white heroic?" And it would just be like some random <laughs> white aura. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, technically it can. There's no reason you can't <laughs> play it other than you have to figure out what to take out. <laughs> right, right. So sticking to that theme, yeah, I think that's the most likely home for it. I don't know that it'll actually end up in that home, but I I do like the card. Um, like you said, always being available, kind of, it cuts down on the downside of playing right. Auras, right? Which is, like, if my opponent removes this thing, it's just, like, me giving them three cards. It's either It either needs to always be available or it needs to replace itself right away and then be able to generate value the longer it sits on the table. Exactly. And we'll get to that in a minute. Number four on the list is a little bit more of a straightforward, just, oh my, this is a nice creature, and that's Rafina's Informant. And that is one in a white <laughs> human wizard for people who care about that sort of thing. And it's a 2-1, and when it enters the battlefield, it connives. So draw a card, discard a card. If you discard a non-land, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. In the context of my version of the Boros deck, that card's incredible. Because we can pitch Prismatic Strands, right. we can pitch Battle Screech, we can pitch Faithless Looting, and we don't lose any value, but we do get a 2-mana 3-2. And you know, it kind of goes back to that thing that we were talking about literally four or five minutes ago. Where you're like, you know, I want to dig for these high value sideboard cards. And that's exactly what this does while being a sizable body. Admittedly, not a body that dodges most of the removal in the format, but that's not really the card's role, right? Because like it generates immediate value and then it also sticks to the board and has potential to provide more value in either being an attacker or. And I mean, a in the affinity matchup, every Galvanic Blast you use on an informant is one less you have for my face. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's the little right. things. <laughs> right. It's the little... You want to talk about value. <laughs> yeah. uh, number three for me, the Rafina's Informant kind of tells the story itself. It's just a really straightforward value card, and I love it. If we're talking mm -hmm. about a, a deck that wants to play like Jund, which is what the Boros Monarchs deck wants to do, that's what you want. You want a two-drop that generates value. And on a different subject of a two-drop that generates value, because... I have a thing for auras. We have security bypass. And I did not catch this card on my first skim of the set. I had to go back and look again and again and again. And I just, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And it just caught my eye probably 15 minutes before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> Love that classic yes. late edition. It is one in a blue enchant creature. As long as enchanted creature is attacking alone, it can't be blocked. And Enchanted Creature has, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, it connives. So in the context of Pauper, one of the things the Mono Blue deck really, really, really wants, as someone who plays an unfortunate amount of Mono Blue, I feel unnecessarily qualified to make a statement on that, is another sort of mopey draw effect that just snowballs as the game goes on. Like, you strap it to a Ninja of the Deep Hours, and now Ninja of the Deep Hours draws an extra card and doesn't get blocked. Every time, uh, you, sh you know, same goes for moon circuit hacker. The same goes for, you know, you can put it on any random annoying one mana flyer on any fairy miscreant or fairy mm -hmm. seer spell starter sprite. If you're feeling frisky, <laughs> those are already flying, but it grants evasion to the ninjas for additional value. And 
similar to Curious Obsession when it was in Standard, you get one hit in with it and it's paid for itself. So anything after that's just gravy. And that's, you know, if you can't have it always be available, just sitting in the graveyard, having something that's going to pay for itself up front, if you get that first connection and Mm -hmm. then potentially take over the game from there is the next best thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I don't play a ton of mono blue. I've played a fair bit of it in the past, Um, particularly like anytime like a mono blue removal spell comes out, that's good. I always like fire up like three or four leagues of it just to like see if that like the deck is actually good or if I'm crazy. Something that I experience a lot with those decks though is like sometimes in the games where you're trying to snowball, like you'll get a lot of card advantage. But even though the deck doesn't play a ton of lands, it has like a tendency to flood. And so with this card being able to connive and pitch away those lands is something that I think is a value, right? Just get deeper in the deck, draw more cards. Um, and be able to get rid of those excess lands if you don't need them. I think it's something that provides a ton of value. Now, of course, my worries with it are the same worries that I have putting any aura in any deck ever. Yeah, the two, the dreaded two for one. Exactly, and specifically putting like investing two mana into this card. Oh yeah, not being sure of the worth since a lot of times your opponents, like you're just like putting their board back into their hand of return or a lot of your cards already have some form of evasion. Yeah. But I could also see this being great in that deck. And I'm excited to put this and another card in the mono blue deck and play it for two leagues to see if my heart is going to be complete. We can do that next month. Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So what's number two for you? Witness protection. Uh, partially because the flavor win is just absolutely perfect. For those who don't know, it's a blue mana aura enchant creature. We're on a, we have a brand today. Uh, but this one's not for my creature, it's for yours. Enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a green and white citizen creature with base power and toughness. One, one named legitimate business person. (laughs) (laughs) That's the flavor win of the day. Uh, It's the best. It's, it's one of the best designed flavor cards in the set to me. But back in the context of Mono Blue, one of the biggest things we have issues with is big, stupid creatures that we can't profitably bounce. Right. Like a Mirror Enforcer, for example, right? Right. And they're like, okay, well, that's nice, but it's a, it's a, citizen, it's a legitimate business person now. <laughs> yeah. So, like, anything that has Cascade, anything that they're just going to play for free, instead of letting them do that, now it's still on board. It's a one-one, so it's it functions similarly to removal, but it's very cheap, like a lightning bolt or a snuff out would be in the blue, red, blue, black versions. Closest thing we get to snuff out in mono blue right now is bind the monster, and I would much rather play this than bind the monster in a lot of circumstances. Right, for sure. I mean, I'm still probably going to play bind the monster, but <laughs> this card <laughs> right. is really good. <laughs> Did you have anything else on witness protection? or? I didn't. I was just going to ask you for your number one. What takes the cake for you? I think we're on the same card. I, th- I think we're on the same card, and that's Snooping Newsy. Yeah, absolutely. This is um, this will kick off my list, but it's also the top of your list. Um, if you kind of want to tell the people what it does and why we love it so much. It is a blue and a black human rogue, 2-2. Two, two. 
When it enters the battlefield, mill two cards, and as long as there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard, it gets plus one, plus one, and lifelink. So two mana, three, three lifelink in a deck that already doesn't mind putting a bunch of stuff in its graveyard for value anyway. Like, it's phenomenal. Yeah, so the only thing that could really hold this card back, right, is you have to have five or more unique mana values. So I was kind of thinking about what that deck would look like, right? It's like, well, you have one mana cantrip, you have two mana of this encounter spells, um, three mana you could play like Recoil if you wanted, and maybe a few other cards. But then you also get to play Gurmag Angler and Snuff Out, which are like very efficient cards that you get to play. That are different mana values. Yeah, like they never cost what their mana value is, which is amazing. And then, you know, you get to play like um, Behold the Multiverse, right? And like because Blue Black gets to play so many cards like that, you just have this insane ability to secretly turn this card on, like, but not lose any of the efficiency of the deck, which is very nice. And then there's the possibility if you want to go down the turbo line of playing like thought scours and mental notes heavily in your deck in order to make it as big as possible, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And it helps you turbo out your angler. Yeah. And then depending on what the deck looks like, right? Like you can also play like Delver of Secrets. It's just another really cheap, efficient threat. And then, you know, you're playing a 12 creature deck where, you know, you're going to have a 3 2 flyer, a 3 3 lifelink, and a 5 5 Gurmag Angler. I'm very excited to play the blue black tempo deck. It'll be probably the first thing that I try in my free time, unless we decide that mono blue is more fun. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get there. We're going to convert you. (laughs) Yeah, let's be honest. We would all rather play mono blue, but. But yeah, so that kind of segues us nicely into my list. Snooping Nusi is actually probably the one that I think is going to be the best. But um, we can just go ahead and call that number five so we can move in to what is number four on my list, which is a card I'm pretty excited about just because I like the strategy mostly, I think. And the card is Body Dropper, which costs Rakdos of Black Pip and a Red Pip. For a creature devil warrior, it's a 2-2 that whenever you sacrifice another creature, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And then you can pay Rakdos and sacrifice another creature, and Body Dropper gains Menace until end of turn. The reason that I'm excited about this is particularly for Jun sacrifice decks that are wanting to play cards like Mortician Beetle. You know, I kind of see this as Mortician Beetle 5 through 8, or maybe 5 and 6 if you don't want to play that many copies of it. But it also has this other upside where it can get kind of expensive, but it is also a sacrifice outlet that can grow itself and grant this card some kind of evasion. So, you know, whenever this is growing big and it becomes like a 5-5, you know, you'll be able to remove one of your opponent's creatures, pay two mana, sacrifice something like like a young wolf, get your young wolf back, attack for, you know, five or six with this and all of a sudden your opponent can't block it. I see a lot of really fun lines. The only thing that I think could potentially hold this card back is that normally in the sacrifice decks, all the cards that you play are incredibly clunky. And right now, a lot of the top decks in the meta, I don't think are actually that clunky anymore. Like, I think it used to be that a lot of the top decks in Popper were also like pretty clunky and took some setup turns. 
But now even the setup turns in Popper becoming pretty efficient. It makes me think that, you know, this deck could definitely steal some wins in a challenge or a league and potentially even like top eight a challenge. But it would have to draw exceptionally well and it would have to draw much better than the top decks in the metagame. Absolutely. I do not know what a Rakdos Sacrifice Shell would look like right now. I, I just, like, there's way too many cards I would want to play in that. Yeah. Right. One day they'll give us a, a companion that lets us benefit from that. <sighs> not in this format. Not in this format. <laughs> <laughs> At least we, we hope not. So that kind of gets us to my number three pick, which are... The new dual lands, which I'm affectionately calling the campuses, but different. Um, so they're dual lands that are the battlefield tapped. And you can pay whatever two colors they are. So like if you have the red-black land, you would pay Rakdos and two more mana and tap it, sacrifice it, you draw a card. They have one, I believe, for each color pairing coming out in the set. I think that these lands are good. They compete with um, a pretty high bridge, pun intended, in that it has to be better than bridges. Um, the campuses are probably better just as a consistent mana sink. Yeah, there's just so much going on. Like The only deck that I can see really wanting to play this potentially over the campuses, I think, is actually that blue-black deck that we're talking about might want to play this just as a, you know, have lands to sacrifice because the deck won't actually need that much mana to operate. So it doesn't mind that it's sacrificing a member of its mana base to get a card deeper. Yeah. But yeah, I think that these lands are good, but ultimately won't be high impact and popper. I would agree with that. They're going to be a card that sees a ton of commander play because it just, it's better than Windscarred Crag, better than, you know, that kind of stuff in that format. But I don't even know necessarily that I would play them over those in Popper. So I, I like the cards. I like them. I want them to be good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but they're just they're just worse versions of other things, and we don't do that. <laughs> and then moving on to my number two spot, I think that these cards have been surprisingly contentious. I see a very niche home for the next thing that I'm about to say. But a lot of people think that these are either like have no homes or people think that they are much better than I think that they are. And that is the new fetch lands. The ones that, you know, there's a, a Grixis one that as soon as it enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice it. You get a basic, you know, mountain, island or swamp and you gain a life and it enters the battlefield tap. Of course, the, uh, the land does, you know, it does like an evolving wilds, terramorphic expanse and prep impression where you know you're shuffling your deck you're going you're getting a basic land of pretty much any land that's going to be in your colors because that we don't have decks that really run five colors of basics and popper normally the issue is is that you have to sacrifice right away so you would have to be playing either a a multicolor deck that cares a lot about life gain which to my knowledge doesn't really exist in popper currently or a deck that cares a lot about landfall which again doesn't really exist currently, but that is sort of the home that I think is you're going to see a lot of landfall brews that don't play these instead of Terramorphic Expense Evolving Wilds, but like alongside them, right? So like you might have like 10 fetch lands in your deck now, and these will be two of them. I don't expect it to make a big impact, but I think it'll make 
like enough brewing opportunities come up that it was worth mentioning on the show. And because I view this as kind of like a lower power set, it felt appropriate to go ahead and have them in the top five list, I think. I would agree with that. And not for nothing, it the you know, the landfall deck feels mopey until it clicks. And <laughs> right. Then right. then you wonder where all your lunch money went because that four or five step links just bashed your face in by itself. <laughs> exactly. And you know, this kind of brings us over to the card that I think is either going to be the first or second best card from the set. Of course, snooping Noosey is going to be good. But the card that I think has potential to be better than it is Inspiring Overseer, which is two generic and a white for a 2-1 Angel Cleric with flying. And whenever it enters the battlefield, you gain a life and draw a card. And this card sounds really mopey. And I thought that a couple of sets back when a very similar card, Priest of Ancient Lore, came out. But Priest of Ancient Lore really made mono-white decks, particularly like just standard beat-down slash life gain decks like it actually like got them like top eating challenges and being competitive in the meta and this is exactly that card but it also has flying um so it's really hard for me to not look at this card and go okay i know a fringe you know tier two tier two and a half deck that has a chance to actually top eight some challenges and make some noise right and i know that there's a card that's already an automatic four of in those decks and this is just better that card. So it makes me feel like this is going to be the best card in the set. But there's also potential that the meta just isn't in the place where a mono white deck can compete anymore. Uh, it also, you know, not for nothing when we talk about card efficiency, like Priest of Ancient Lore is a two mana, two one with no combat abilities. And this is a three mana, two one with flying. You are only paying one extra mana to get flying which is not something you normally get in Magic. You normally have to pay two more mana for flying. Yeah, so actually, just as um, a correction, Priest of Ancient Lore actually also costs three mana. Oh, does it? Yeah, so it's just exactly the same card. Oh my goodness. That's even, that's just power creep, okay. (laughs) Just actual power creep. Yep, thank you, Wizards of the Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's our... Both of our top five lists, I guess, our top nine cards at uh, Capenna. How are you feeling overall about the set? I know that we kind of tiptoed around how we felt, but... I I feel like it's a set that we are going to have to judge in a year or two, because right now it doesn't feel like there's any like high-impact warp-the-format-around-them cards in it, which I guess is a nice departure from about the last eight sets, but... <laughs> Yeah, just not what we're used to anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm looking at this I'm looking at this set going, oh, I don't like have to run out and get any of these. Right. Except for uh snooping oozing. Yeah. Have to get that card. We have to get that card. It, at least for the name, honestly. Yeah. Like and the artwork looks good, but whatever. I, I feel much the same way about the I- set. See, now um, we're just going to have to, we're going to have to do blue black for next month now because we're talking about it and we're both yeah, excited. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe what we can do is we can start out blue black and whenever we get our hearts crushed, we go to mono blue and whenever we get our hearts crushed, we'll go back to blue black. <laughs> I'm in. We'll just be blue right. tempo for the month. Yep. All right. That's our lane. You heard it here first. Lock it in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
with that, that's going to do it for this episode of Common Knowledge. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find me on Twitter at JustGuyDad. Adam, where can they find you? On Twitter at HomewardPathMTG. If you want to get to know the guy behind the mic, I'm on TikTok at HomewardPathGaming. And still on Facebook, the name is Adam Spain. Excellent. Or you can shoot us an email over at CommonKnowledgeMTG at gmail.com if social media isn't your thing. Um, if you have any questions on the popper format, MTGO, or anything else, again, you can email us, reach out to us on Twitter, TikTok, or Adam's case, Facebook, maybe, or just leave a comment down below, and I promise we'll respond. Thanks again to our sponsor, PureMTGO.com, as well as the Constructed Criticism Network for letting us be a part of it. And last, but certainly not least, thank you for listening. Take very good care of each other, and never stop brewing. Yeah.